Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we are so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. This next guest needs no introduction. She is the winner of six Grammy Awards, 25 Dove Awards, is a dear friend of Melissa's and David and my childhood hero. We are so excited for y'all to listen in on this conversation with Amy Grant. We are so grateful for you to spend the time with us, really, and very honored to get to sit with you. And I was thinking about you this morning and thinking about really for generations. I think you have this voice that you have shared truth and hope, and you have this way of doing it with so much grace. And at the same time, Amy, I think you make everyone feel like they're friends with you. And I don't know how you do it, but it's just your manner and your heart and the way you come across. And you you had a connection to Daystar way before David or I got here, way back with Melissa. And I think the loft was part of that, maybe. And we are still singing songs every once in a while from the loft at Hopetown. Wow, that's fun. Even go back to, I picture you at Harpeth Hall Mm -hmm. in your little outfit. Maybe it's the first time I met you and uh, spoke at assembly or something over there. But then it was in the 70s, I connected with you. I remember riding my bike out to your house and just buzzing you at the gate and saying, Hey, Amy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Melissa, what uh, you doing? That's I'm good. thinking, what the nerve I had. <laughs> and I'm sure I was asking you to come sing somewhere, do something. Were you involved with Brentwood Academy and their spiritual emphasis week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was there when yes, we right. started. Yeah. She yeah. started all that. So the buzzing gate would have been. The 80s. Okay, the 80s. I moved to that farm in 1985. Right, okay. But 1976 was the first time I ever sang. At my high school, I was a sophomore. Really? Mm -hmm. Harpeth Hall, wow. Yep, I was 15, and it was Debbie Bannister and Mm. I. Oh, my goodness. Sang together? Yes. Really? Yeah, so this has been like crazy that last month, Ellie Holcomb and I have been promoting a song and a project that we worked on along with 25 other women called Faithful, Mm. and it's storytelling and women in the Bible and music. And we all came together to put this project together. But the other morning she was at my house, and we were doing a Today Show feed. Jennifer Cook is there, and she said, this is a time warp. Mm. Ellie looks so much like Debbie. (sighs) And she said, who? in the world could have told this story that 44 years later, 45 45 years after getting on that stage with Debbie, I'd then be singing with her daughter 
Isn't that something? On, I know. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's just so. Crazy. And her, oh gosh, Ellie is just such a beautiful light. She is a beautiful <laughs> light. She is, mm-hmm. She's a wide open channel. She, she is, is, that is a great light. description of her. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm excited about that project. It's really life changing for all mm. of us. I wasn't counting because I think like 40 something years is mm-hmm. when connected for the first time. And I just remember you being someone that I would always go to when I needed something. Sorry. But (laughs) you were just beginning then Mm -hmm. to sing. And then I think I've just carried that on through the years. How many times have I thought I'm going to call Amy and Mm. ask her? And you have been through the ups and downs and falling flat on my face and Daystar just encouraging us in so many ways. And just can't Uh, thank you enough. I'm so glad. And Daystars has served my family also. Mm. I've had a child in the therapy seat. Probably needed all the kids in the therapy seat. <laughs> <laughs> we all are there. Yes, we are. Off sure. and on. Yeah, mm-hmm. together. And as you know, our podcast season is called Intentional Parenting. And when we even think about that word intentional, you sure come to mind. Mm-hmm. One of the most intentional human beings. Mm-hmm. And in thinking about even that chapter you and Melissa are reflecting on and this chapter of your farm becoming this mm-hmm. place to host so many kids and serve so many families. And it just felt like such a gift that you would give us this time and we could just ask you even questions about that new chapter. Mm-hmm. And Great. when did that idea even first come to you that you knew you wanted the farm to be that kind of place? Oh, goodness. Well, first off, it's amazing having lived through the really intense, busy years with work, with music, and raising a family. I mean, to me, those are the hardest years of Ugh. all. Everybody's doing the best they can, but it just feels like there's not enough gas in the tank. So now all of my kids have launched our blended family of five. I birthed four of those. What that has left me with at this point in my life is I'm just used to being active, I'm used to being engaged. I'm used to using my skill set at a time in life where it might be like, oh, let's just kick back and do nothing. Nothing is kind of boring to me. (laughs) And so there's not a week that goes by that I don't look at something I'm in the middle of and go, oh my gosh, when did that become part of my skill set? Oh, that was when I was into bike riding. I learned to take apart and put together bikes, but it was because we were biking on the road. And we flew our bikes and traveled, and we had to be able to, uh-huh. you had to be able to fix anything. Yeah. You're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's Washington <laughs> State. Yeah, you better know how to fix a bike. <laughs> or what about this camping thing? Or what all of a sudden there's a surprise group of 50 people, and you've got to feed them within 80 minutes. How? All those things that you go, oh, yeah, remember, oh, that happened about 20 times back in the 80s. Everything that happens that feels stressful the first time through, Mm. eventually you've done it so many times that it really is part of your skill set. Organizing groups of people, delegating, seeing the potential for a group of people coming together. I mean, every creative project, I mean, this has been my biggest life lesson. Every creative project starts with nothing in existence. Nothing. Mm. And you talk about a song, you talk about a story, you tell somebody a story, the words start forming together with the song, and it's almost like a twister of energy that begins pulling things toward it, Hmm. pulling people that have the right raw materials, the right time on their calendar, the right skill set. 
And then eventually those things become visible. It's true with anything, but to see that happen in community, and I've seen it so many times coming up through the creative world, Mm -hmm. that it just makes me go, everything is a possibility. You can't do much by yourself. Mm. I've got a friend who's always quoting me, and I say, I'm telling you, I never remember saying this. (laughs) It's Ellie. She'll go, I remember when you said, and I went, yeah. I don't remember saying it. I think somebody else said it. And you're t- no. you're- but anyway, somebody said, always plant a garden bigger than you contend by yourself mm, because then you're compelled to invite people in to help. Uh-huh. That's really been the adventure of the last seven years of the farm. So I bought the farm 27 years ago. Thanks to great record sales and people showing up at concerts, mm. including you. Yeah, I Sissy. helped. 13-year-old. <laughs> yeah, and I purchased that farm in the spring of 94. Mm. And I already lived yeah. on a farm. That was the crazy thing. Uh-huh. Who needed another farm? Right. <laughs> and this one did not have the beautiful curb appeal of the gentleman's farm that I lived on. It had two power lines that went through it, but it was about to be developed, and three different families went in and bought that farm. And I was in a position to buy the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. But I have great neighbors, Michael W. Smith, Mike and Leanne Jones. Mm, yep. They both built dwelling places. But my feeling was there's something about the primitive beauty of that place. Mm. All through the years, I've gone, an outhouse is enough. Mm. <laughs> that has hardly changed. Mm. And then in the last seven years, I feel like that's really when the adventure began. Mm. You love that. I love that, Yeah. Just creating community and Mm -hmm. exchanging. If somebody says, I need a place, can I do this with my family? You know, I don't have a billboard out. To me, whatever the next right step is in life or the next adventure, it's always somewhere in your world, it is the next step. Mm. It's just one step away from where you're already standing. Mm -hmm. My feeling is that happens relationally, too. I've never solicited Hey, people that I don't know, come help me. But it's funny because this happened to me one time. I was in Publix, and I passed a woman in the aisle, and she said, you wouldn't know me, but I have spent the night at the cabins at your farm. Mm. And I just so loved that retreat. Mm. And she said, somebody had signed up to keep the fire, which is the thing we do every winter. And Mm. she said, they just included me. And I was like, I've done that too. I'm so glad. Mm. So I've met people, but that came through an existing connection. I feel that. You have done that with Daystar, and even after I had an accident, I was in the hospital and for some reason talked to you. I'm not quite sure what I was asking you to do, but I'm sure <laughs> something. But uh, you said, well, when you get out, feel free to come out to stay. This was like back in 94, mm-hmm. and we got a place you can stay if you want to. You just have that sense of, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels Thanks. so natural. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Thank you. I didn't go, but I might it, want to. Sure. <laughs> Same place. We haven't upgraded. <laughs> and you've had a camp there. Mm-hmm. How many years have you been doing that? This will be our sixth summer. Okay. We just host two weeks. We're under the umbrella of Barefoot Republic. Yes. Just a wonderful organization. So it's a faith-based camp. Yeah. It's multicultural, kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds, multiracial, mm. Just trying to create an environment where 5 to 11-year-olds can come to a day camp experience where they feel welcomed and safe, Mm. and they're exposed to people that look different than them, Mm. and that they have a great experience together. Mm. 
that would be a wonderful imprint to have on a five-year-old. Absolutely. Indeed. Yes. How did you start doing that? What inspired you? In the fall of 2014, the preacher who had performed the marriage ceremony for Vince and me mm-hmm. out at the farm, his name was Matt Canna, and his cancer that we were sure he was going to beat just had advanced to stage four. Mm. I had had what I look back as really the pivoting experience with my relationship with the farm on a Sunday afternoon, early October, beautiful Sunday afternoon in early fall 2014. We had the practice of driving my father around. My mother had died in 2011, and my dad had really advanced dementia, but we could tell he enjoyed being in the car. Conversation was non-existent, so it was lonely to be alone with my dad. And so we would always make sure another sister could come with us. And this day, we actually had two of my sisters and Sherry Kitchell, who is my added sister. Okay. And so three girls in the back seat, I was in the front seat. My dad was in the passenger seat riding shotgun. And all he did was just pull on the seatbelt the whole time, kind of fixated on that. But that day I said, I feel like everything I've always felt that was magical about the farm that's been simmering on the back burner, I feel like it's gotten shoved to the front burner and Mm -hmm. I don't know what it means. Can we drive, Dad? Can we just stay on the farm? I mean, we had one driveway. So we off-roaded through fields. We went Ah. through a creek bed. Two hours, we just kept circling the same places. And the women said, just dream out loud. Mom used to say, I picture this place covered in children. Mm. I said, I picture like a, I don't know, I imagine a circle of houses, nothing fancy, not like big houses, but primitive, small. I picture a community garden. I imagine beehives. I imagine pockets of people experiencing nature in a way that they experience God, but it does not require words. Mm. Anyway talking, talking, talking. It was so emotional for me. I couldn't even figure out why I was crying so hard, but I was. Mm. And then we drove back up to the hillside where my mom's ashes are buried, and these three little cabins are two cabins and a little clapboard structure, been there since the late 1800s, not fancy. And Sherry said, whew, I feel like we just ought to get out of the car and circle around and pray that you stay out of the way. I mean, what if this is the adventure of the rest of your life? Mm. (laughs) Wow. And I went, I love that prayer. Just stay out of the way. Mm. And so the four of us circled up. My dad still hadn't said anything, still playing with the seatbelt. And Sherry stuck her hand in, because we were right next to his side of the car. Mm. And she patted my father on the chest and said, Doc, I just have to have my hand on a dad's chest. I miss my dad so much. Mm. Her dad had died in 2009. My father... When she said that, he turned and looked at all of us standing in that little tight circle, and he said, this is all going to happen. Wow. (laughs) We were like, what? Wow. I mean, like, nobody moved. And he said, and there'll be great celebration. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And then the next thing that came out of his mouth was gibberish. And we just busted out laughing. Sherry said, I was about to take a legal pen, but here comes an hour. <laughs> wow. And I just went, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I couldn't, I didn't um, even know what to say. Wow. And then we prayed. And the next week, Mac is stage four cancer, back to Mac Canna. And there was a guy he'd wanted me to meet for so long. It was like his adopted son. And I called this man Tommy, and I said, Max getting zero good news. At least Mm. let's go have coffee. Mm. And we can give him the news that we actually met each other. And so this was the fall of 2014. 
We went to Nashville for breakfast, and we were still talking at lunch. And he was telling me his life story, which should be a movie. And then at the end, you know, I mean, he kind of was telling me a lot about his Barefoot Republic camp in Kentucky and, oh, just the story, the baseball cards, how he got all that. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, I know. My sister called me one time, and she was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I agreed to cut carrots. It's like carrots for 100 kids. (laughs) But why would she be cutting carrots for a Kentucky camp? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, no, 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 well, we have day camps in Nashville. And I said, like, where? And he said, well, they rotate to different campuses, but we just use church facilities. I said, well, why in the world aren't you using a farm? And he said, well, we've never had access Wow. I was like, okay, three days ago. (laughs) (laughs) And so it took from October until the end of April to jump through all the Williamson County hoops. Wow. And some of those were not cheap, but right about the time something would be a big expense, I would get some out of the blue gig that totally covered it. And so 2015 was the first summer we had camp. Wow, Amy. Mm. I know. And I'm telling you, the real lesson for me has been— to let it come to me. Mm. Mm. Because I have wasted a lot of energy throughout my entire life chasing things that Mm. were not really mine to participate in. Mm. And the lesson of getting older, I think, is just to welcome what comes to you Mm. that feels right in your gut. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it has all come to me. And even now, I feel like I'm on the cusp of something. I told my sister the other day, I feel like I'm on a giant tabletop, and I see these massive puzzle pieces swirling around me, and they're falling in place. And I can't see the full image, but I see the colors. And I said, this has nothing to do with me. Mm. I just have a place. Mm. And it's so much fun. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) To watch. Yeah. It's so much fun to watch. Yes. You know, we have our own little version of a sleepaway camp, and we have day yes. camps at Daystar, and just believe so much in the yes. importance of camp for kids. But I'd love even for you to speak to that, of what you think kids gain, Yes, the importance that you feel like for camp for families. I don't know what it feels like to be a child at camp now. I don't mm-hmm. know what it feels like to be a child in Ugh, the world right I now. the truth. But I know from my experience, I went to a day camp run by the Hetzel family, Parkview Farm Day Camp. And it was right next to what's now CPA, but it was owned by the Sensing family. And the back of that farm, they turned into a day camp. And so it's a summer leading into first, second, and third grade. So little. Mm -hmm. And what I remembered was it just broadened my mind for all the things you could do outside. Mm -hmm. The activities were simple. They had a swimming pool. We learned to swim. But I just remember being in a group that was not my family, mm-hmm. having counselors that were teenagers mm-hmm. that I looked up to. I remember there was an opportunity at the end of the week for us to get on stage, but to be seen by a different community mm-hmm. than the one that was my norm. I remember that. Yes. And then that. from the time I was 10 or 11, every summer through almost the end of high school, I went to one week of church camp. Once again, it was coming into a community that didn't know all my story. I was having an experience where I felt safe, which made me open, and it was life-broadening. But I'm telling you, that one week of church camp, it changed me. And like, for instance, there were also kids that were part of the bus ministry, 
And I remember getting to be friends with a girl named Elaine. She was younger than I was, and she kind of just shadowed me. And she had two brothers that were older than Elaine. I must have been 15. Maybe it was even my last summer at camp. But I remember making that connection with Elaine and then coming back and staying in touch. And she would say, will you come pick me up at my house? By then I could drive. I remember cutting her hair mm. maybe four or five times. And I invited Elaine and her brothers to come to our house. And then life got busy. Do you know, in the early 2000s, I got a letter from Elaine. Wow. I mean, how many years? That was 1975, 76. So 25 years later, I got a letter from her. And she said, I don't know what compelled you to reach out to me, but my life was hellish. Mm. And I was sexually abused. Mm. There were no safe places in my world. She just talked about it. I remember getting that letter and going to... Karen Moore and Phyllis Mayfield and I were Mm. meeting with a handful of girls one morning a week. I was so dumbfounded. Mm. And I was like, you are not going to believe this. I was y'all's age. I tried to reach out and find her, and I never made the connection. Mm. I can't remember where her life concluded, but just the fact that 25 years later, she found me. Wow. Mm. There's a verse maybe in Hosea. And God is talking to the Israelites, and I love this verse. It's all this parental kind of language, but he said, I led them with cords of human kindness Mm. and ties of love. Mm. Cords of human kindness Mm. come from humans. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, you're using us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mary Chapman, I was married to her son Gary for 17 years. And I remember one morning in total fatigue, I was headed to the coffee cup. I think I'd had middle-of-the-night interviews. I had a two-and-a-half-year-old and one in diapers. Wow. Music was crazy busy. Mm-hmm. And she was always, all things work together for good. She had a really crazy story. And I remember turning toward her with my coffee cup saying, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think I've actually prayed a prayer in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I am so running on steam. And... People are asking me questions about my faith. I'm not aware of any quality of life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just bleary-eyed. And she just threw her head back and said, Oh, Amy, it just takes one good prayer. (laughs) And I thought, well, that runs very contrary to my Church of Christ. There's a quota of goodness that has to be accomplished. (laughs) And I said, one good prayer. And she said, oh, just pray every day. Just, Lord, lead me today to those I need Mm. and those that need me. Mm. And let something I do have eternal significance. And Amy, you're not going to even know that one. Mm. But pray it anyway. Mm. And it was like, well, okay. Yeah, and, and since then, it's been over 30 years I've been praying that prayer. Will you say it one more time? Lord, lead me today to those I need and those that need me. Mm-hmm. And let something I do have eternal significance. Oh, I love that. Me too. Me too. Yeah, and it feels almost backwards. Lead me to those I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. we don't really want to admit our own need. So true. But it makes you sort of look at every weird happenstance the person pumping gas on the other side, like mm. you go, this is so freaky. What if I need them? Mm. Might be worth making eye contact. Mm. Hi. You just don't ever know. Yeah. You just yeah. don't know. But mm. I think to me, praying that prayer for decades now, it has created an openness to things that have not yet happened mm. in me. Mm. You know, and that seed was planted mm. by Mary Chapman. 
And the puzzle pieces above. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award-winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gomeno.com. That's shop.gomeno.com. Hearing you talking about the camp, are there some memories that you have that stand out to you over the years? Of the camp? The kids oh. and the camp. Yes. Yeah, one of my favorites <laughs> was the first summer we had camp, you know, steep learning curve. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I have a friend who has a production company, makes commercials. Well, she had come to camp really helping set up. She's a ball of energy. This was six years ago. And she had gotten the first drone for their company. Wow. And she was like, okay, okay. The Oprah Network was doing a show, Where Are They Now? And they wanted to do a piece on me. And I was like, I'm moving on up. <laughs> I'm teaching archery. What are you doing? <laughs> My friend Mel saw that two-window hour of time when I was going to be pulled away from the goings-on of the camp. They were going to take a camp picture with everybody in their T-shirts. And she wanted them to go to this paddock back behind the barn that was like a rectangle and divide the kids into letters, into words, and have them spell out with their bodies barefoot at the farm. And then they were going to use the drone, and she was putting together a piece that was going to be shown on the last night of camp for all the parents to show the kids what was going on. Those little film pieces are made every day. So the next day, the Mm -hmm. kids can see, oh, other kids are doing that. Maybe, you know, it's just part of things Barefoot has always done. So that two hours, I'm off talking to the Oprah production crew. I don't know how long it took, maybe the whole two hours. The kids were hot. It was sweaty. The drone kept malfunctioning. (laughs) They probably had 200 kids there. And so however they divided that up, it was multiple kids involved in each word. Barefoot at the farm, and they did the length of this field. I never knew anything about it. I do remember thinking everybody was especially grouchy and felt (laughs) like overheated that last session of archery. The last day, the parents came, a huge storm rolled in. Tommy Rhodes is looking at me. I'm like, stay, we're good, stay, to get as much of the programming out of the way. But then by the very end, we had the dance numbers, the sky opened up, and I was like, whoever's left. Let's go to the loft of the barn, which was really beautiful because the parents, we all stood on the periphery and the children were in the middle. So we surrounded them as they were doing their singing performances, the Mm -hmm. dancing, whoever was left. Mm -hmm. That's when they showed the film. And I had one little kid kind of leaning against my leg Mm -hmm. and it got to the very end. (laughs) And they're like the drone. I'd never seen the farm from a drone perspective. Wow. Now it's kind of old hat. It was so emotional for me. All the tents, we had 20 tents that there were their cabins and places that they'd been walking through the grass by the end of two weeks that had made a real trail. I mean, it was so great. And then at the very end, there's this sweeping shot up into the air and I see that 
I have a big lump in my throat. And then I noticed the kid next to me pulled at my top and they went, we were letters? (laughs) (laughs) I went, oh my gosh, God. I feel like so much of my experience of life, I'm like, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I've got dirt in my cheek, I've grass in my face. But at the end of it all, I'm going to go, I was a letter, a part of a word, of an epic story. (laughs) Right now, all I can go is, I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We were letters. Uh Uh, Yeah, Yeah. that's one of my favorite first year memories. Wow. I love that. And even as we share stories around investing in the lives of kids, we wanted to ask you some questions just about your own journey of parenting. And you talked about that season of having littles. And obviously now you have young adult and adult children. What have been some of the joys or struggles of parenting young adult and adult children? Oh, wow. Well, I just think of, I was already working when I was pregnant the first time and had been working for over a decade. And I knew I needed help. Because I had two children in the late 80s, one in the 90s, and one in 2001, Mm -hmm. clearly I stretched out motherhood (laughs) as long as possible. And throughout that time, I had one nanny. But I just think about all the ways that I was prepared to ask for help and find help. Mm -hmm. And Phyllis actually wrote me a letter. She came to me and she said, you know people from my family, but we've only met once in passing. But... I would like to offer my services to help you raise your family, and I'll mm. stay till the end. Mm. And wow. um, yeah, I remember she, yes. her having a few dates early on, and I was like, <gasps> <laughs> you know, but you know, just having to hold everything loosely. So my first thing is, I knew that I needed help, mm. and I got help. Mm. God provided help, mm. and I didn't try to find it alone. Mm. And then early on, I always felt respected by my parents. And I feel the most important lesson to teach a child is respect Mm. toward themselves and others. Mm. Every good thing grows out of the fertile ground of respect. Mm. So I'm sure I failed many times, but to me, that was the most important lesson. I mean, I'm sure my kids would say, oh my gosh, she she guilted us into everything. She was such a manipulator. (laughs) And I'm sure I resorted to all those tricks at different times. Yeah. I remember one time my son, Matt, was now under a roof with a stepfather and a half-sister. I just remember him coming, man, I could sure use a back rub. I had gotten the advice from a woman sometimes that when you couldn't find a clear way to communicate, offer a back rub. Mm. You're not even facing each other, but you can touch with love. And I had done that a bit with my son, and he came in, and and I mean, I had no gas in the tank. I was exhausted. That night, I said, buddy, I love you, but I'm going to have to put myself to bed. I can't remember exactly what he said. You know, he's in his 30s now. But he said something referencing that I was a bad mom. Mm. A bad mom tonight or something. And I went, I don't think I'm a bad mom. I just think I'm a tired mom and I'm going to take care of myself. Mm. And he turned around and he said, I guess the days of guilting into a back rub are over, aren't they? Mm. And I said, yeah, I guess they are. Mm. Because having gone through a divorce, you know, I had to come to terms with my own shame mm. and all the ways that I was trying to fix it. And it just took me a long time to forgive myself. Mm. And until you forgive yourself, you really, it's just a dog and pony show with mm. everybody else. 
And so I'm sure there's all kind of fallout from that, but everything eventually has an opportunity to get worked out. Mm. And it's funny because I attributed so much of the distress of my three older children through anything to the fact that their parents had divorced. And that was just was such great relief when my youngest would explode or <laughs> slam a door and I'd go, <laughs> hey, it's just normal. It was almost like, it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love that. I know. Yeah. In light of that, would you say you had a favorite season of parenting? And I think you have a different perspective of being different kind of ages with different kids. Oh, gosh, up. yes. Well, once again, because I always had Phyllis's help, she was in the wings somewhere. I would walk off a concert stage, meet the 100 requisite people I was to meet that night, get out of my show clothes, walk on the bus, and she would hand me whoever was the baby with the dirty diaper, and she said, saved this one for you. I mean, oh. I was not getting on the bus and, like, pouring a whiskey. <laughs> I was. Oh. Yeah, it was life. And I've always had a decent imagination. Mm. I do enjoy playing, and that knows no bounds of time. Mm. I enjoy playing with my grandson. I mean, there are times that I'll be like, oh, my gosh, whew, I got to take a deep breath. Mm. You know, especially if it's like role-playing mm-hmm. or something. Millie, she really was the one that pushed me the most on that, but I even learned a lesson from her. She loved Barbies. She's a great writer, mm. and even when she was a little girl— she would say, let's play Bobbies. Can we play Bobbies? I'd be, oh, God, just a second cup of coffee and I'll be up there. Because I knew what she wanted. She wanted full participation. So, you know, I'd still be in my flannel nightgown, which was all the rage then. <laughs> and I'd have my second cup of coffee and she'd say, okay, so um, he is the broom and he's showing up at the door and they'll ha- they're going on a date and... He opens the door and she's standing there. And I would, I'm holding him and I said, Hey, you sure look pretty. And she'd say, No, 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 not like that, not like that. And I go, um, Okay. Um, <laughs> um, Hi, my name's so and so. What's your name? No, 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 not, not like that. And then, you know, she's little. Mm. I, uh, he opens the door, Hey, baby, you look fantastic. And she'd go, Yeah, yeah, like that, like that. <laughs> That, I'm going to tell you, that's hard in the morning. <laughs> in your flannel nightgown. Yeah, and it would just go from there. So Phyllis and I, after those days were over, we were in the car one time talking with Millie. We were teasing each other about how she would come down and want to play Barbies. And Phyllis would be like, mm-hmm, I'm busy, you know, doing something right there. <laughs> and without thinking, I said, oh, my gosh, whoo, the dialogue at Barbies, fate worse than death. When Millie was in the car. She was maybe in middle school, mm-hmm. and she said, fate worse than death? Thanks, oh. Mom. Mm. Oh. And you know, I could never take those words back. Mm. I'm like, God, we were, I'm just kidding. But you know, you can't, that's an awful thing mm. to say in front of a child. Mm. I have learned so many great lessons mm. the hard way. Mm. And now I just go, it doesn't matter what funny cocky response I might have to something, I have learned that I have never, ever regretted something I didn't say. Mm. It doesn't matter what it is. You just don't ever know who's listening. You don't know how your feeling is going to change. You just don't know. But that was a hard lesson. Hmm. 
but playing is always fun. Mm. And so now I'll say, hey, can we play in something that doesn't require dialogue? Because it's fun. Kids like dialogue. Mm. They do. Mm-hmm. So does my grandson. Okay, now you're the this. And <laughs> how do I keep winding up in this chair? <laughs> but I would never say to him what I might have even teasingly. Mm. But man, kids in their best moments are such a party. Mm. They are. Pretend is real to them. Mm. I feel like you've done this just very naturally of things that you've learned. What do you think about what you know today that you wish you had known? Years ago. All of it? All of it. <laughs> I, I feel like that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. That, that is yeah. life. Mm. It is. That's just the process. I just think parenting, it, it is a steep learning curve. I don't yes, think yes. we parent latter children the way we parent first and even yeah. second born. Mm-hmm. I have said for a long time, when my kids were under the roof, when they were younger, I would say, if you can survive your mother, you can survive anything. Mm. And I did that for both of us because I needed permission to fail. Mm. And I needed them to know that there were things about their life that were uniquely hard for them. A mother that worked full time, a mother that chose to divorce their father. For all the good things, there were hard things. And uniquely because I was their mom. But I also thought that that could also, they go, I did survive my mother. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It was a kind of a, I'm proud of you right in there. Just so grateful for you saying those things. Because I think so many people we're sitting with at Daystar and so many people that we're writing books for are young parents. And I think we would probably all say if there's a hallmark of young parents, it's I've got to get it right. And we have been talking about how it feels like right now there's more pressure and that parents are feeling more shame than we've ever seen parents feel in generations. Amy, for you to be as honest as you've been and share these truths, I'm just so Mm. grateful for your voice doing that. Wow. Thank you. It's funny, even as you said that, I have many memories of my mother coming and sitting at the foot of my bed saying, I am so sorry that Mm. I did this or that. Really? Yes, Mm. I do. So if you had to think about kind of big picture, if there were three kind of overarching things that you hope that your kids have heard or learned from you, and even your grandson now, what would you say three things are? People are more important than things. It doesn't matter what broke. The world will keep turning. Mm. Mm. The world will keep turning. That's said in reference to a lot of things. So overarching themes, Mm -hmm. I would say respect goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And I've never regretted anything I didn't say. Mm -hmm. And people are more important than things. Mm -hmm. Things break. And just, we'll get through this. We'll get through this. And not saying anything is really okay. Mm -hmm. I've learned that from Vince, is just being there. Oh, here's the last thing. Oh, (laughs) Of my poor son. Oh, my poor son. I just learned so many lessons. I raged the hardest I've ever raged at my son. And the experience was awful. And it really was born out of fear. Mm. I was afraid for him. I was afraid for the influence he was having on his next younger sister. I mean, I don't know what was going through his head. And we we were actually at the farm. 
him. And he was like, just leave, just leave. I'm sure I had humiliated him. Karina was little and she was in the car seat. She saw all that. She eventually fell asleep. And he was like, why did you do that in front of her? Mm. The emotion eventually leaves. And we're leaning up against the car tire. He said, you mind if I have a cigarette? I said, go right ahead. I'm so sorry. Mm. I wish he didn't smoke. My dad was a radiation oncologist, you know. Mm. But pick your battles. Yes. Mm. And then I just said, I was so terrified. Everything I did was awful. And I'm sorry. I was just so afraid. I get so afraid. And we eventually cleaned up the mess and went home. We made it through. I don't know what his inner monologue was. Mm. And I don't revisit that memory very often. But what I learned from that is when I am the most triggered, it's fear. Mm. Mm. And by the time I was parenting the last child, that language was so easy for me to understand that I gave her permission I just said, if I'm ever like, woo, like really edgy or grouchy or grumpy or angsty about something, I'm guessing if I followed that trail back, I'm afraid of something. And one morning we're on the way to school and she was a little bit late and they were supposed to be doing something. And it was a time where I was working a lot and I snapped at her when she got in the car and I was like, man, we're running late, stuff is, and out of the wisdom of her middle school mouth. She said, what are you afraid of? And I said, I'm afraid that you've shown up unprepared because I was gone. You don't have on the right clothes for the performance because I didn't read my email. Mm. I'm afraid that that reflects so poorly on what kind of a mom I am. Mm. And I don't want you to be embarrassed. Mm. That's what I'm afraid of, all those things. And she was like, well... I'm okay. Mm. That's great. (laughs) I said, okay. (laughs) Well, then I guess we'll just both be okay. And you're going to look in, walk Mm. in, look in the way you look 10 minutes late, and the world's going to keep turning. I mean, those phrases keep appearing. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about any of this stuff. Mm. (laughs) So fun to hear you talk about it. We're so grateful you think about it out loud with Mm. us. This has been so rich, Mm -hmm. and there really aren't enough ways to thank you for Mm. giving us this time and space that we could be with you, and you would share those stories and that wisdom. I apologize to my children. (laughs) (laughs) I don't tell many stories on them ever from stage anymore Mm. just to protect their privacy. Well, we love to end moving from a really rich, substantive conversation to something kind of silly as our landing point. Fantastic. And we talk... We talk a lot about food on this podcast. We talk about tacos in particular, and we love to end by just asking, what is your favorite taco? Can be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Anything's fair game. Oh, man. Over the last year, we have done some carryout. Uh-huh. My favorite carryout taco would have to be Lady Burke taco. Yes. But if I had to pick a favorite taco that I would make, I love any kind of meat, but... I just love the combination of cilantro and lime Mm -hmm. just on anything. Mm -hmm. It's so weird now. Like I sit there and go, well, now I make my own salsa. You know, it's so simple. Just cut up tomatoes and onions, salt and pepper, and a lot of lime. I mean, that's really all it is. Mm -hmm. Just let it sit there. And I feel such a freedom right now because 
Vince hates onions. He doesn't like the smell of onions. I have to wait till he's not in the house. I mean, I wow. alter all my food plans because he doesn't like when he's on the road. I'm like, here come the onions. <laughs> but guess what? He had COVID and his sense of smell has not returned. I mean, that is priceless. That's yeah. awesome. Onions are a part of daily cooking, mm. just for now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, for, just now. for now. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Thank you. Oh, I feel like even oh. talking about the words in the beginning of Grace and Truth and Hope feels like exactly what this last conversation has been in so many ways of truth and hope with so much grace. It just makes me excited for every parent that gets to hear it. Yes. Oh, Thanks for me. having me. Oh, thank you. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.